Hey, Philo people. Welcome to episode three of the Philo Podcast. If you're new, the Philo Podcast exists to help those of us involved in the technical arts of the local church to become more effective at what we do so that our churches can become more effective. My name is Todd Elliott. I'm your host for the podcast, and we spend most of our time here learning from people who are involved in the local church in some capacity, whether it's in some technical discipline, producing services, leading teams, whatever, whatever will help us become more effective at what we do. Hopefully, the conversations we had with Delwyn and Steph in episodes one and two were helpful. For this episode of the Philo Podcast, we sat down with Andrew Stark. He's the audio director at North Point Church in the Atlanta area, and he's formerly from Hillsong Church in Australia. If we go back a couple years, we met maybe four or five years ago. Hillsong was coming through Willow Creek, and I was there at the time, and we connected. And so here's Andrew Stark. Hello. Hey, hey, Todd. How you doing? Yeah, doing all right. Uh, thanks for making time for us today. Oh, my pleasure. I'm sort of interrupting a little bit of uh, some some demoing of new consoles at North Point, uh, which is where you are now. Yeah. How's that going? Pretty good. Yeah, it's going well. So, um, I think we're we're getting pretty close to being able to make a decision, which is which is exciting. Yeah, that's always fun. Yeah. New gear. Yeah. You have yeah, that well, new, new gear smell in the booth for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> nice. But like we were talking about before, it's just it's just all a matter of evaluating like what's what's the best in the hands of a volunteer. So sure, right. That's really, the conversation from here. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Mm. Which uh, might be a conversation. Uh, yeah, that would be a good topic to talk about. Just the the idea yeah. of volunteers, but that's not what we're talking about today. I would love to uh, maybe just uh, give us a short history of kind of maybe even your story of being in audio and where you've been and uh, where you are now. And if, in case uh, those of you listening haven't figured out, uh, he's not from America. Uh, sounds like you're from <laughs> no. somewhere else. So uh, yep. yeah, why don't you just tell us a little bit about kind of your audio journey up to this point? Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, well, it's a long story, but, but <laughs> we'll, we'll, see how we, we'll see how we do. So I originally um, started as a musician, as a bass player. So in our um, high school, like youth group. Um, my senior years of high school, I uh, I decided I wanted to do music class, so I had to pick an instrument. So I picked bass because it was like four strings and you play one note at a time. I'm like, I got this. Yeah. You know, this is easy. Yeah. So um, started doing that and eventually got involved with the band on Friday nights, and that was um, that was really great. And I remember years ago, somebody goes. Hey, like, you know, you got a bit of a technical, the ability to understand technical concepts um, and you're a musician. So we'd really love you to think about doing sound. And I was deeply offended by that, yeah. um, being honest. It was their nice way of saying you're not that great of a bass player. Yeah. Well, it was, uh, well, it was funny because I was doing it like all, like all the time. And I, you know, again, this is going to lead into our story, but I was, my reputation was, you know, Andrew, the bass player. Right. Um, okay. That's kind of all all people knew, and so they um, they're like, no, we 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 need someone. We're desperate. We don't have anyone. And I was also involved in some other kind of, if you want to call them, um, ministry um, type uh, endeavors within a youth ministry. And I thought, hey, this is the direction of my life. This sure. is where I'm going to be going is more ministry. So I was I was offended on the basis of. Like, hey, I want to do ministry. Like, I'm called, if you want to use that word, to ministry. So there's no way you'll ever catch me mixing. Right. Like, that's just not that's who not I am. That's not ministry, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 
so I shut it down. And it was funny. About six months later, I went through this whole um, phase of like, hey, I really feel like I need to take a break from the thing that um, I, I felt like my identity was built around at the time. And so I thought, hey, I'm going to put down the base for six months. And I'm just going to focus more on, on the ministry side of things, like I was talking about, the things that I was involved in. And so I did that. But the crazy thing happened during those six months, instead of seeing all these opportunities and all these doors open up, um, the opposite happened. It's almost like everything I was pursuing actively shut down in front of wow. me. Wow. And it was a season I've never experienced since. And, you know, one that I probably don't really want to experience again. But I remember at the end of that six months was up and I tried to pick up where I left off. And, you know, um, the, the guy who was like, you know, the kid who was there on a Friday night who was always like, hey, can I plug in your bass? Like that guy. Sure. Like he was now the guy. And okay. so um, I'm sitting there going, well, what do I do? Right. And it was at that point a buddy of mine um, approached me and he was looking after the the audio team for all the all the youth ministry and he goes hey again i'm really desperate for guys and at that point i'm sitting there on a friday night and i'm going i can't do this i can't just sit i need to do something so he he goes hey would you consider doing front of house and so i'm like sure at this point like (laughs) it doesn't even matter what i just want to do something i'm not just going to sit here and that was it so i started doing it real you know, I was I was good at it, got a lot of good feedback and a lot of good encouragement. And, you know, the people around me were really great about investing into me and teaching me and showing me, hey, what if you try this? What if you do that? Um, so that that's really how it started. Oh, wow. And how old were you at this point? I would have been uh, 20. Okay. At All that right. point. Nice. So still, still pretty young, but probably, you know, late to the game compared to, compared <laughs> right. to some others. <laughs> Right now, uh, and then so uh, so you're volunteering to in front of house. I mean, how, how did that yeah. lead to um, uh, other things? Like, uh, I'm assuming, I mean, yeah. at some point you started doing it as a career. Yeah, so it was actually what I, I remember I took on um, the, you know, if you like the, the production lead for that age group that I was involved in, the high school ministry. And so I'm like, well, um, we, it's funny, at that point, we had, uh, it had a terrible reputation, as in, like, the guys that did it, they'd leave the place in a mess. Right, um, sure. They'd break stuff all the time. <laughs> That's um, pretty universal, so, I think, that, pretty, that reputation. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I remember coming onto it, and I'm going, gosh, like, we have barely enough gear to get by on a Friday. I need gear um, to do some of the extra things that we want to do. So I thought, well, hey, what if I, what if I volunteer with the main production, like the weekend service team? And I was going to do this as a way of building favor, if you like, and uh, eventually getting them to trust me so that they would give me mics and they would give me the gear that I needed to make Friday nights work. Right. And this went on um, for about a year and was actually quite successful. And at the end of that year, um, the production director, if you like, or production manager at the time, he approached me. He goes, hey, we love what you've done with the high school age group. We'd like you to do that with what was at that point in time, uh, um, uh, Hillsong Second Second Campus, which was their city campus. Okay. And uh, that was really how I got my start. So I, from from where I was just looking after Friday nights, I inherited the campus. Oh, wow. <laughs> and as a 21-year-old kid, had no idea what I was doing. Sure, right. And, but, uh, you know, that was my, my orient to like full-time production. And I did that for a number of years. And honestly, I got burnt out in the process because I didn't really know 
I wasn't really ready for, you know, I entered that role thinking, oh, I'm going to get to see ministry. I'm going to kind of get to see the the, the nuts and bolts or the, the gears behind the scene and see how things right. really work. Uh-huh. And uh, which I did. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't they, necessarily. They ground you up too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, a lot of it is just, um, there was a lot of areas that I needed to mature and there were areas that, you know, that, hey, we could have done a better job from a, a leadership standpoint sure. as well. So it was, it was, it was, I was going to say, I think it's interesting that um, as a young person, like for me, when I first started in full-time ministry, I loved it so much that I worked every day. I didn't ever stop um, because, I mean, it was kind of that transition from I'm doing this as a hobby and on the side and I'm working, Mm. you know, a full-time job that I don't really love, but I love this. So, you know, I'm spending every spare moment doing production work. So then when I became a full-time church production person, I... I did it, you know, my normal work day and after, you know, all the time. And, um, yeah. you know, it wor- yeah. it was fine for a while, but I was fortunate enough to, I was engaged to be married at the time and she was not a huge mm. fan. So yeah, she helped kind well, of shut that down early, yeah. um, which was helpful. Yeah. It's actually funny you mentioned that because that was kind of my parallel as well. Like it was during those years, really a lot happened. I mean, not to... Um, stayed too heavy for a moment, but like I got engaged and then my mom passed away and oh, wow. a whole lot of stuff. And so I'm dealing with, with still at that point being really immature as far as my, you know, my, my self-worth was in what I did and in the recognition that I got, you know, my, right. my faith had gone from like a real active faith to a Sunday to Sunday kind of faith where, sure. you know, what I did for the church was really, um, what was what I would count as, you know, my, how I, Build my faith, if you like, sure. or how I, I was in relationship with Jesus, and so it, it just wasn't a very healthy season at all. And it was around the time I was getting um, about to get married, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm like, I can't do marriage like this. Right. This is yeah. <laughs> this is going to go horribly wrong if I keep this current pace and this current way of working, and even just the baggage that I'm sometimes coming home with. So I'm like, okay, I had to I had to make the hard decision, and I left that role. Okay, and. That was really the move that kind of set everything else off because I went back to the main campus. I was involved in another department for about six months, and then I was approached by um, my boss there who's, who saw me volunteering in production still on the weekend. He's like, you really enjoy that, don't you? I'm like, yeah, I do. He's like, do you want to go back? And I'm like, uh-huh. well, um, yes. And I mean, props to him because he was, he was the guy who goes, hey, we'd love to keep you, but if this is where you really enjoy being, he's like, then – hey, we'd rather set you up so that you can do that. And they were looking for someone to help manage the volunteers on a weekend service and okay. um, all that. So um, I took the role. And um, fast forward, just for the sake of time, um, my boss at the time resigned. I was the only other guy that really touched the console when he couldn't be there. Okay. And so I stepped into the role of, of um, you know, front house engineer for weekend services. Sure, wow. Um, and that's... And that's uh, that's kind of how I ended up doing that. Now, let me ask you, uh, going back to kind of the, when you burnt out, yeah. do you feel like that was something that was in your hand, like looking back on it, maybe not in the moment, but something that you, you were the main contributor to, or do you feel like your church took advantage of you? Or like, I'd be curious there, I yeah. would imagine there are a lot of tech people that feel like they're burnt out. Yeah. And I know I've been there a bunch of times. And in hindsight, yeah. I can mostly see that it was in my hands to do something about yeah. it. 
Um, yep. And I didn't, you know, I made uh, made choices. I felt like I had no, where I felt like I had no choice, but really did. Yeah. I'd be curious, just your perspective now, looking back. And that's my, my perspective now would be very similar. And while there were very much certain things and expectations that maybe made it a little bit more difficult, uh, for me, I'm like a lot of that. I, I always retain the opinion that I'm like, my answer is always yes. Right. Mm -hmm. um, nobody's forcing me to do it. Nobody's saying that I have to do it. As long as I choose to be a part of the role that I'm in, my answer is always yes. And not from, a, not from the point of view of like being a yes man, but more like, hey, if I understand that I'm in a position to say yes and that it's not anyone else's fault but my own, then it's like I know that all I have to do is say no. Right. And when the time comes for me to say no – um, and I'm doing it for the right reasons, then, um, you know what I mean? Yeah, then yeah. Mm -hmm. it, it's not like, it's not like someone's forcing me to do everything. And so I look at it now and I go, you know what? Like there's certainly a lot of it that was in my, my hand, um, when it came to like how I communicated where I was at, what I needed, like the priorities and, you know, what I do now different is I'd spend a lot more time trying to draw out of my leaders. It's like, well, what is your expectation? Because sometimes what right. I think needs to be done and what they think needs to be done are two very opposite things. And then asking myself the question is, can I reconcile the two? Do I need to just yeah. abandon what I think is a priority and pursue that? Or um, is there a way that I can take their expectations and take my need and, um, and build something that's a little more healthier? Right. Because, right. um, I mean... In, in line with the story, it's funny when I when my role changed and I began mixing a lot more, I saw the writing on the wall, um, and I went, man, if I'm the only guy that mixes um, services and we continue in the way that um, we we had started going, I'm I'm I got maybe two three years tops, and right, I'm gonna right. be I'm gonna be done, yeah, because you know burnout again or just the fact that you can only I'm you can only really do the same thing. For so many right, days right. until until it just becomes this this weird thing, um, right? So right. I'm kind of messing that up. You know, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, you start going through the motions. Your passion yeah. disappears. You're resentful that no one else can sit in your chair. Yeah. yeah I mean, it it does the thing that you love turns into something that you know destroys you. Yeah. yeah, and then you you stop doing really strange things like you start um, <laughs> trying to make it interesting. You start, <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Yeah, right. Like I just see like you know I see some guys just doing these bizarre things and these different you know tweets and posts and I mean I, the things that I look at and I, I go like that's cool, but is that really helping? <laughs> like right, right. kind of things. It's just and keeping you interested. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so. For me, I saw that writing on the wall, and I knew the reason we had like about one person always mixes everything kind of model. That's that's what I stepped sure. into. Right. And I just went, okay, what if what if I what if I try to get in the mind of the person who made this call? And you know, like um, it was a senior pastor who made sure. that call, and he didn't make it because he wanted to, um, um, you know, burn out audio engineers. That wasn't right, his right. heart at all. He did it because his heart was for the people attending services, and it's like I want to give them an experience that is in some way consistent. You don't want them to come right. in and one week be like it's this, and then the next week it's like this completely different beast because someone else is mixing. Right, right. So really, um, that's where. I'd matured a little bit and um, was able to look at it and go, well, what if, what if my role just becomes setting up other people to reproduce what, what, um, what we'd already started? And so we went from more of a, hey, you have a go at mixing to a mentorship model. 
right, okay. Where um, I'd have a guy and he'd shadow me for several months and then he'd help do things and then he'd have an opportunity to get his hands on the fader during a rehearsal because, you know, I knew the room well enough that I could do, do a sound check and let's open doors, we're good to go. Right. So um, he'd, we'd be able to save it, he'd be able to run, get some... Um, get some uh, mileage if you like, and right. then um, we go and we do a service and eventually it came to him operating for part of a service. But at that point, I'd stand right next to him. So if anybody looked up at front of house, they think I'm mixing. Yeah, they don't know yeah. there's someone else pushing the faders. <laughs> and and so if it if it works, like it's great because that person has the opportunity to, to really get his hands dirty, which he needs. Right. Um, right. If it went horrible, it wasn't his reputation that took a hit. It was mine, and I could afford it. I had some um, capital, if you like. Sure, right. And so if it's someone might look at a mistake and go, ah, oh, you know, we know, we know stuff. He, you know, he's, he's got this. Like, this isn't normal for him. And I was able to, in a sense, shelter that person a little yeah, bit perfect. so that they could continue to come through eventually to the point where one day they're mixing and – um, it was funny because the conversation was like, oh, who's, who's this guy? And it's like, oh, he's been mixing for a year. You know what I mean? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and automatically, it just, it just kind of eases, um, you know, gives them confidence knowing that, hey, no, this isn't returning to the old way where it was all this, you know, one way, one week, one way, another week. It's like, oh, I haven't really felt attention there this year. And if this person's already been doing it for the year, then this person's good. Do you know right. what I mean? Right, right. Yeah. Now that's interesting. Uh, like I, I, I resonate with what you're saying about the idea of, um, if I don't find some people to help me do this, then I'm going to burn myself yeah. out. Uh, cause I yeah. felt the very same way. I, fe I felt like, okay, I need to give away more things so that I mm. uh, don't cook myself. Um, but I know that for a lot of people, um, you know, the perfect mix or the way I mix is, is, you know, wrapped up in who you are and, having yeah. some sort of identity in that. And I, I'd be yeah. curious, I mean, just for you to be able to even, you know, however many years ago that was to say, hey, I, I'm going to give this mm. away and still be okay with who I am. I mean, I'd be curious yeah. just about that. You know, you're you working so hard to be this mixer that you've become to just say, hey, I'm going to entrust this to somebody else now. Mm. Uh, yeah, how was that transition for you? Yeah, no, that was, it was funny. I think that part was the easy part because okay. it's something that I felt like, it's funny because for me, like that was my area, right? If you like, this is, this is what I do. This is what I'm known for. And so it's like, Hey, this is, this is always there. So it was, I felt like it was easy to kind of bring people in. I, I really, that didn't become an issue until I was actually asked if I'd go out on tour. Like obviously I'd, I'd built up enough of a reputation of what I did that the guys are like, hey, we think you, you could do this. Um, and there was a catch and they're like, well, but we're not going to replace you. You've got to find someone who can fill your shoes voluntarily. And I was like, hey, already done. Yeah, like, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I remember going out on the road for the first time and like it's um, it was it was hard work. Yeah, uh, so different. Long days. So different. I mean, you know, pretty labor intensive you know, getting things set up and pulled out and all of that stuff. Yeah. And, um, but also just, um, the working hard and fighting for the result and fighting for it, for it to be great. And I remember I took that fight personally. Okay. And it wasn't until we we're, um, really about 40 minutes from where I currently live, we we're playing one night at the church. And I remember we had to ground stack the PA. Okay. Cause they didn't have a rigger. Sure. And so it's this church we ground stack, 
um, um, this line array and um, we go through, we do the rehearsal and I'm feeling the tension because I'm like, ah, oh, I don't know how this is going to go. At the moment, it's okay. And then someone's like, oh, hey, Chris Tomlin's going to be there tonight. And so I'm <laughs> starstruck at that point. And I'm like, oh my gosh, Chris Tomlin's going to hear me mix. And I told the story. PA, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I told the story to Jeff Sandstrom, who was mixing for him at the time, and he laughs. He thinks it's funny. But, <laughs> anyways, <laughs> um, uh, the night starts and everybody stands up and I can't hear a thing. So okay. <laughs> at that point, I'm just now guessing. I'm like, is this good? I don't know. Who knows? And we get to the end of the night and I'm feeling utterly and completely defeated. Uh-huh. Um, the, the house guy goes, you know, sorry, we couldn't organize a rigger. Um, it was just too hard. And I'm like ready to punch the guy because I'm yeah. like, I flew halfway around the world. <laughs> like that was really hard. Like you yeah, can pick right. up a phone and call a guy. Yeah. Um, and so I didn't, I didn't say that. That's what I'm thinking, not what sure. leaves my mouth. I think I smiled in Chucky's <laughs> hand. Um, um, and I sat on the bus later that night um, as we were about to head to the next stop. And I just remember having this moment of like, is this it? And I'm like, is this what my life's about to look like? Um, you know, you look at the, the bus with the support crew and I mean, these, these are the guys who they're in it every day and you, you know, they, they show it physically and, and emotionally and everything. And I'm like, is that, is that going to be me? Right. And it was a real wake up call. Cause, um, what I didn't realize in the time is I was so, my identity was so wrapped up in what I did. If it was good, I was good. If yeah, it was yeah. bad, I was bad. And so my if you like my ability to be secure, my my ability to lead, my ability um, to do everything that I did was dependent on whether or not I was having a good day in what I did. Right. Wow. And and so when you're in an area like production, where I mean um, the expectations are sometimes so high and they're so aloof because we all hear things differently, we don't necessarily all agree on what a good mix is. Right. Right. I mean. That's a that's a recipe for disaster. Right. Yeah. And so I get back to Sydney and I just feel like, you know, my life has completely fallen into disarray. Um, I look I remember thinking back to that original conversation where somebody asked me if I'd mix and I'm like, Oh, I want to do ministry. And I remember what I had in mind at that time and I'm like, that is so far away from where I am right now and the path that I've gone. I don't think I could ever get back there. And at the same time, the path that I'm on, I'm not sure this is where I really want to be in like 30 years, like doing this, um, doing this thing the way that I saw it at the time. And so um, I felt completely lost. And with the help of, um, it was actually a podcast by um, um, a, a, a large uh, sorry, a pastor of a large church here in the southeast, where okay. he was talking about um, how he sees a counselor and helps him navigate some of these things that kind of come with being, you know, the lead pastor's last lead pastor of like a very large church. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, if he can do that, I can do that. Right, right. And so <laughs> I remember my next step was talking to someone who helped me really kind of identify some of these things, and that was a game changer um, because I started going through this journey of of going, okay, I'm not what, you know, who I am is not what I do. Right. What I do is, is as a result of who I am, if you like. Sure. So right. kind of turned it another way. Like what I do is an overflow. I do out of the overflow of who I am. It doesn't feed who I am. Right, right. And it became this whole thing 
this whole journey of taking my identity out of, you know, Andrew Stark, audio engineer, Andrew Stark, bass player, Andrew Stark, pastor, Andrew Stark, leader, like all these things that I'd want to be known for or were known for at different points in my life. And it's just like, hey, Andrew Stark, son of son of God. Yeah. Which sounds really spiritual, if you like. <laughs> yeah. But for a tech guy, definitely. Yeah. For, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I'm like, man, no, what if. I went through this journey of like, what if I became so convinced of who I am as a son first that it doesn't matter what happens to me. It doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter if I'm a technical person, an artistic person, a a pastoral person. Like you can attach whatever title you want to me. It doesn't matter. It doesn't change who I am. So I really what I had to search for was like, what is the one identity I can have that will never change? Right. regardless of someone else's opinion or even my own opinion. And that led me to the, to the idea of like, um, that needs to be that of a son, uh-huh. um, which was crazy and, and led me on all these other rabbit holes, if you like, even the very idea of calling going like, I don't know if I'm called to ministry. I don't know if I'm called to be an audio engineer. I feel like if the only thing I'm called to is, is to be a son, that's it. That's good right, enough. Right. That's all I need. And I feel like that's probably a lot more scriptural um, than um, how we use the term or the idea of calling. Because, um, you know, Romans puts it, puts, it, um, uh, puts it so well where Paul uses the word adopted uh-huh. to say like, hey, when, I, when we were adopted, we were given the same rights as a son or a daughter. Right. So it, it, if you were a natural born adopted it, it didn't didn't matter and in roman culture like because when you were adopted into a family you automatically became a roman citizen it was kind of like the government's way i guess of going hey well if you can't abuse this because if you abuse this this is ultimately going to ruin your inheritance for your for your natural born children right 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 yeah so in a way it's going hey you can't use this as a as a way to try to circumvent um um you know, the rules or whatever, whatever was established at the time. It's like, no, when you're adopted, like that's it, you're in. Right, so right. I feel like Paul uses this word specifically because it communicates something that the idea of calling didn't. Um, right. A lot of other times he uses the word calling or called, um, you know, and I feel like that gives us a more accurate idea of what Paul's actually saying. He's like, hey, you are called a son or you're called a daughter. And that when we become a follower of Christ, that's what we're invited into. And so right. um, I remember thinking through this and going, well, then what does that mean? Like, why do I do what I do? Why would I work in a church as opposed to work somewhere else? Why would I um, mix audio? And it's simply like, I feel like, what, what are the gifts that I have? Uh-huh. And what's the opportunity that's in front of me right now? Like, what if you can take what if I could take the heart that I have for God, the heart that I have for people, which was the foundation of that that ministry thing in the first place, and right, combine right. that with the gifts that I have? Like, what would that role look like? Right. And that's really, that's really been the direction that I've taken with my life. I feel like sure. it's been like, how do I marry all these somewhat um, um, irreconcilable elements right. um, under the banner of and of a of a of a son? Right. Right. Yeah, it's yeah. Really, it's really interesting what you're saying, especially I would think for most people who were kind of on the outside looking in, you know, even to think about you leaving Hillsong mm. to to go anywhere. Yeah. You know, the to be the audio guy uh at Hillsong. <laughs> I mean, from a again, mm-hmm. from an outside perspective, 
feels like, why would you ever leave yeah. there, that? That's like the, it's what everybody dreams about. Um, yeah. And I, and I would, you know, even in my story, you know, to be the production director at Willow Creek Church. Yeah. It's like the exactly. perfect job. It's, uh, yeah. it's the job people dream about. And I'd be curious just even, uh, you know, maybe it has, maybe it has everything to do with where you mm. kind of derive your identity from, but I'd be even curious, you know, just even from us, from your walk with Christ, like to get to a place where it's time to leave this. And I don't want to say from the world's perspective, because, you know, we're talking about, you know, calling and, you know, the bride of Christ and all this, but, you know, from, a, again, from the outside looking in, why would you ever leave Hillsong? <laughs> no, that's a very good question. Funnily enough, one that I get asked, you know, now by colleagues, you know, it's pretty, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty wild. But again, I feel like it's all related to that same conversation because a role could become as much a part of your identity as an organization. Right, right. It's like, you know, they almost snowball. It's like, well, I'm not just, you know, Andrew Stark, you know, front of house touring church guy. That's now Andrew Stark, <laughs> okay. front of house church touring guy for Hillsong. You, right. you know, like that sounds really, really impressive. And it's easy for me to want to stay in that because, um, because you know that that opens up a lot of opportunities it opens up a lot of doors and things like that just just having that name attached to it and the organization so like i love hillsong so much of my worldview so much of like um of my life has been so influenced by you know the years i spent there from being like uh like from when i was 13 years old to when i right. left when i was like 30 something like it's played such a big role sure in in my life um Leaving was possibly the hardest decision I've ever done, mm. I've ever made. Yeah. Um, really. And a lot of that was as I went through this journey of identity and, and letting go of the things that I thought were really important to pursue the things that were really important. Um, my wife and I came to this point of looking at where we were in Sydney and the feeling that we had that, hey, I don't know if Sydney is home for us. Okay. Um, and we wouldn't have we wouldn't have done anything about that because um, of of where we were. But at that point, we're actually able to take a look at it and go, "Hey, we we really don't feel like Sydney's home for us, and we need to actually make a make a move." And so that we started asking the hard questions, and that whole journey of that I've been on played into it to the point where um, where we were able to take a step back and go, "Well, what do we do then?" Right. And. All we knew to do was like, hey, um, I just felt I couldn't shake. And I'm like, you need to resign. Wow. And it was funny. I took my wife and I took a six month um, sabbatical um, to try to work through some of these things and be like, what are we supposed to do? And when I came back, um, it was my my leaders were so gracious and so great. They're like, well, what do you want to do? Like write your own job description. Wow. And I remember going through this process and thinking, I... I I need to resign. And I didn't say it at the time. I fought it for the very reason we're talking about. I'm like, you know, Hillsong had been my home for so many years. It had been such a key part of what I did that to leave that just felt like, like, oh my gosh, what's on the right. other side of this? What's yeah. my life going to look like? So we, my wife and I, we probably fought that and we didn't do anything for about nine months after getting back uh -huh. um, until we just couldn't shake it anymore. And um, we like, okay, we have to do something. So we we started my green card process for the U.S. Not having any idea where we we're gonna be. Right, right. We we didn't know. We we didn't feel like, 
it was um, New York. We didn't feel like it was Los Angeles. They're not really two cities um, that that um, that we felt like, hey, this is where we want to do life. And so we're like, well, what does that mean? So it, it sounds very enigmatic. I know it's, it's hard to give like a blanket answer, but it's like we felt like there was something that we needed to do and that we wouldn't be able to be at peace until we did. And it was funny when we started the process, we felt this overwhelming peace. And not only that, it's like the process just seemed so much easier for us than it's been for friends of ours that have sure. gone through the same process. And so I can almost say that there was grace on, on that decision. Right. And, um, you know, how we ended up in Atlanta, gosh, it was just through a relationship. Um, during that whole process of reevaluating, like, what's important, um, it used to be what I did. And um, for my wife and I, we actually took it a different direction to, like, hey, maybe community is the most important thing. Right. Maybe less than um, what I do is maybe who am I doing it with. Right, right. Who are the people in my world? And so when we looked at where were we going to land, we looked at it um, on the basis of community. And we had some friends in Atlanta and um, some great connections. And um, that was really um, when we decided to, to move to Atlanta, it was on the basis of like, hey, we're going with some level of community. We're not having to do this from scratch. We've already got people that we're engaged with to connect with and and um, go from there. So right. um, it's kind yes. of a... A short version of, yeah. of, of <laughs> how that all played out. Yeah. I mean, it's been interesting for me in my life. I mean, just hearing your story sounds similar to mine on on so many points. The Just the, the need to let go and, you know, resign mm. without really knowing exactly what. And, you know, just the... Um, the opportunities to really trust God and then to see him show up and come through and have a story that can be only God and, you know, nothing of my own invention. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, I mean, well, you know, it's a scary step to take. Um, But for me, it's great to hear your version of it because it reminds (laughs) me that, you know what, God's been faithful to me every time I've taken that step. Um, And uh, I mean, I, I wouldn't be in Chicago if I hadn't done that. I wouldn't be yeah. the Philo conference wouldn't even be a thing uh, had I not, you know, stepped out in faith and waited. You know, in some ways, waited to see what God was going to do. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. and I think for so many of us, I mean, not only identity, but your situation, your your home, your your current community, your uh, mm-hmm. paycheck every two weeks. Um, <laughs> there's so many yeah. things to hang on to, you know, and yeah. It's just so difficult to let go of those things and see what how God shows up. Yeah, and I don't think it's beyond like God at all to orchestrate situations and circumstances where we're in a certain place just so that we can actually hear and respond. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's like you know why why take a bunch of people out of Egypt and let them run around for four years? You know, forty years. Sorry. Um, right. To, on a for a journey that was supposed to only take seven days. Right, right. It's because there's so much that he wanted to do in shaping their identity and who they were to become before you know you could take them to where they wanted to, to where they needed to be, right? To where promised them to be. And I'm like, what if, what if that's me? Right. Like, what? Why wouldn't it be beyond God to use an organization like Hillsong to use a role as an audio engineer to use a platform like um, uh, Turing and that sort of thing? To get my attention, right? Right, right. So that he could do what he really wanted to do all along. 
Right. And I, I feel like that gives me some hope because I'm like, oh my gosh, like I didn't go through that whole journey to necessarily even end up doing what I'm doing now. Like um, who knows what's in the future? Who knows right. what's in store? But I need to just be in a place where I'm not, my identity is not tied to anything that could actually pull me out of what God really wants to do. Right. And, you know, put me around people that um, God wants to use me to influence or to to love on or to coach or to whatever it is in what whatever capacity I can. Right, right. Now, um, maybe uh, if you could say, uh, you know, thinking about who's listening to this. So this is audio <laughs> people and lighting people and yeah. basically people doing church production work, uh, many volunteers, uh, some staff. In this idea of identity, I mean, what would you, would you have like one piece of advice or a mm. word of caution or something like that for the people listening? No, I think my one piece of advice or my one thing, and this is what I've held on to for a number of years, is that I believe what God wants to do in you is greater than what he wants to do through you. Um, that he wants us to kind of operate out of an overflow instead of out of like a deficit, if you like. And really, in what we do, that doesn't seem like so much of a priority. It doesn't seem like that might be important. But I mean, to me, there's always this this element of like, oh my gosh, like if, if, if I live a life that is like fully surrendered and fully like, hey, what do you want to do? Like, where could it, where could it take me? And I don't, I don't want to miss out. And I don't want to hold on to what I think is important. And I have missed, you know, the journey and the opportunities that God has put for me further down the line. And I think we can only do that when we recognize that he's got our very best intentions at heart and that that is his first priority. And from there, you know, what we do is simply a response to that. It's like, oh, like as a son or a daughter, now that I'm fully convinced of that, it's like, man, why wouldn't I want to be about my dad's business? <laughs> why wouldn't I want to help him build the family business in a way? Because, man, like that just seems like the best thing I can do with my entire life. That's just this idea of like, this is what I'm going to do to make him happy. Because that's, that's not him. I don't believe that's why we're here. I don't believe that's the way he sees us. I don't believe that's the life where we're called to live. So that, that would be my one piece of advice. Yeah. So good. Well, hey, uh, thanks so much for spending time with us today. And uh, hopefully we'll have some more conversations because I think uh, there's a lot in your life that God has used to, to teach you something, which I think would benefit all kinds of other people. So thanks for taking the time. Yeah, I'd love to. And thanks for inviting me to be a part of it. Yeah. My pleasure. All right. Talk to you soon. All right, thanks, Tom. Oh man, I love this idea. What God wants to do in me is greater than what he wants to do through me. Thank you so much for those words, Andrew. It's taken me years and I still have a long way to go in gaining my identity from Christ and not gaining my identity from what I'm doing for Christ. I mean, to have my identity wrapped up in whether I had a good weekend service or a bad one, I mean, that's a really scary place to live. And I just love the reminder that Andrew gave us. I could have talked to him all day. Thank you again, Andrew. Anyway, if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for future guests on the Philo podcast, please, we'd love to hear those ideas. So email us at philopodcast at fusion.productions. It's not .com or .org or any of that stuff. It's .productions. It's one of those really cool new web things. 
Those are air quotes I'm giving you. Anyway, we've been updating our website with new information about Philo 2018, which is coming up at Willow Creek Community Church in the Chicagoland area, May 22nd and 23rd. So please check it out at www.firstinlastout.us. All right, until next time. Thank you.